So clear your mind and let some images come into focus. Images from a, a time past, before our modern era, a simpler time. And see in your mind's eye a, a happy marriage scene as a, the bride and groom exit a simple country church, surrounded by well-wishers as they prepare to set off on their new life together. The groom, he's careful as he helps his bride up into the wagon. It's stacked with gifts and provisions from friends and family, gifts to seed their home with blessings. Once she's seated, the groom climbs up and takes his place, takes the reins, and urges the horse into a gentle walk. Friends and family follow for a short distance, crying out congratulations and well-meant advice as they start down the road to their new home. And we could follow them for a while, riding along the quiet country roads and paths, over gentle hills, past farms and fields, and, and into the woods as they make their way. But we'll keep their conversation private. Words between a new husband and his wife should not be eavesdropped upon. But we can listen to the sounds around them as they're traveling and watch their movements. We can see the shy smiles that the bride gives to her husband, nervous laugh at times to comments that he makes. And we can see his back straighten and how he sits just a little taller each time she calls him husband. So we can understand their excitement as they look forward to starting their life together. Now the day was still fresh when they began their journey, but now it's beginning to wane. We've heard the birds singing in the trees and the squirrels racing through the leaves, but now as the sun begins its slow descent towards dusk, those songs have begun to change. And now the rustling in the leaves includes the rabbits and the movement of deer as they begin to awaken. And off in the distance, the wolf howls. The light begins to fade and our bride and groom are weary, ready to be home after their long journey. Most of the bird songs have faded. The robin now calls out, defending its territory. And the owls begin to hoot and echo through the treetops. To the left and to the right come the sounds of wolves lowing in the distance, each one answered after a slight pause. The bride and groom continue their steady pace towards their new home. Soon the howls begin to seem louder, closer than before, now more frequent. If you pay close attention, you can tell the different voices calling out and answering. The bride looks nervous as she glances at her husband. But he's resolved soon they will be home and safe. The road makes a slight bend and approaches a low hill. 
And as the cart comes around the corner, in the dim light that's left of the day, we see sitting atop that hill, patient and calm, the alpha wolf. He's relaxed and confident. Off on either side, close to him, are a couple of beta males pacing back and forth, their heads hung low. If you listen closely, you can hear the rumble of their growls. Further back, we see movement as the rest of the pack maneuvers to surround the cart and its couple. The bride turns to her husband. The fear on her face is evident. He, however, remains calm. He draws the horse to a stop and with one hand secures the reins. He locks eyes with the alpha wolf and slowly begins to descend from the cart. Never wavering as his boots touch the ground, he slides a large walking staff from under the seat. And from within the cart itself, he pulls a long, sharp blade that glistens in the remaining light. Slowly, he walks forward, placing himself between the wolves and the cart with his wife. So far this Advent season, we've taken a a different approach to our year-end sermon series. This year, we've dispensed with the normal trappings and decorations that are common this time of year in churches. There's no tree out in the foyer, no lights or decorations, no banners saying Noel, no nativity with wise men and angels or a creche with baby Jesus. We haven't even broken out the Advent wreath this year. We've simplified, or you could say we've downsized or decluttered a bit. Or perhaps more accurately, you can think of it as we've focused. Focused on what message we want to deliver to the world during this season. You see, rather than look back over time to the first advent of Jesus, we, like so many early believers, want to have our eyes set on the triumphant return of Messiah. We long for the return of Jesus so he can usher in his kingdom forever and ever. And so we look not to the past prophecies or to the gospel accounts, but rather to the future, to the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John. Here, Revelation, we find the four distinct characteristics of Jesus that we are focusing on this Christmas season. First was the light, symbolized by Christ in the midst of the lampstands. He himself proclaimed that he is the light of the world, and we recognize this as the truth that dispels the darkness of sin and death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we as his disciples believe his words. Next, we looked at the Lamb of God, 
the revelation image of his appearance on the glassy sea in heaven before the living creatures and the elders and the saints and God Almighty on the throne. Quite simply, because Jesus was sinless and lived his life with the sole purpose of obedience to the will of God, he is the only one suitable to become the substitutionary sacrifice for sin. And because he willingly submitted to the full wrath of God, he is honored to be ordained with all power and all authority in heaven and on earth to judge. That brings us to this week's topic, the Lion of Judah. In the church, we're familiar with the title referring to Jesus as the Lion from the tribe of Judah or the Lion of Judah. But in reality, the term only appears once in the Bible. That's in Revelation chapter 5. Now, to sum up, Revelation begins with Jesus' appearance to, to John and his recitation of the letters to the churches. And then afterwards, John is taken up to heaven to see the things that, quote, must take place after this. Now, it's in heaven that John sees the throne of God, with God seated upon it. And above the throne, he describes the four living creatures, cherubim, angels, and the 24 elders who forever worship God. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we read, starting in verse 1, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. Now this is the only instance of Christ being referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah, or as the lion of Judah. And it's a curiosity that the elder refers to Jesus as this because the very next verse says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it was slain. Now I say it's a curiosity because it's not Jesus the bread of life the light of the world, who is worthy. Even though Christ ushered in the kingdom of God and enlightened the world to his truth. And I say it because it's not Jesus, the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin of the world who is worthy, even though he has purchased the deed of creation by his sacrifice and redeemed the soul of all of the saints. It's the Lion of Judah that is worthy because he has conquered and overcome sin and death. So it's not the truth that Christ spoke and taught. It's not the sacrifice that he made. It's the resurrection. The fact that he overcame sin and death that gives him the right to open the seals of the scroll. But the Lion of Judah, this is a a characteristic of Christ that we haven't seen yet in Revelation. Yes, the Lion of Judah has overcome death, but he has yet to fulfill his true role in aspect of linear time. And although he has the right to open the scroll, that first seal has yet to be broken. It's not broken yet. But we have been told when and why and even how. For the when, we look at the prophecies given to Daniel in chapter 9, talking about from Israel's captivity the whole way through to the end times and Christ's reappearance. Chapter 9, starting at verse 24, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And in Psalms, we find the why. Looking first at Psalm 50. And it reads, Our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth and that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. 
If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. And in Psalm 58 we read, The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Man will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. And to the prophet Isaiah, we were given the how. Beginning in chapter 34, we read, Draw near, O nations, and hear and give attention. O peoples, let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world, and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out. The stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All of the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All of their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted for destruction. But for now, we stand and we wait. In heaven, the four living creatures and the elders and the myriads upon myriads of angels cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But at any moment, the Lamb will snap open that first seal, unleashing the beginning of the end times. Now, since we're in the Advent season and not a study of Revelation, I'm not going to get into the details of the seven seals or the seven trumpets or the seven bowls of God's judgment because this isn't a sermon about the coming tribulation. We're focused on Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But we can't just overlook all those things either because it is very relevant to the part of the story that is yet to come. You see, I mentioned that it was declared that it's the Lion of Judah who is worthy to open the scroll, yet throughout the Scripture, scripture even as events unfold, it is always the Lamb that John refers to. It's the Lamb that breaks the seals to open the scrolls. And as the angels blow the trumpets, it is the Lamb that John sees in the midst of the destruction. And finally, after the bowls of God's judgment have been poured out upon the earth, it is once again the Lamb 
that the living creatures and the 24 elders cry out to in worship. John writes in chapter 19, beginning in verse 6, And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This is the moment when the Lion of Judah emerges. But why? Why now? Why at that point in time? Just take a look at what had been done, what will be done. The number of martyrs is complete. They are in full number beneath the throne of God. His word has been proclaimed throughout the entire earth as thousands upon thousands of his followers have prophesied before every soul on the planet. And the very last person that would ever repent and bow the knee to the Lord God Almighty has finally done it. There is nothing left to redeem. God has sought out and captured every heart possible that there would ever be. So now is the moment for the Lion of Judah. Now is his time to step out and protect his bride like the groom in our story. Jesus Christ hero of heroes, comes riding forth in glorious victory. The refrain from David Crowder's crushing snakes paints the picture perfectly. Do you see him, king of heaven, champion of all creation, eyes of fire, voice of thunder, tearing through the sky in wonder, dressed in light, we see him coming on a horse that's white like lightning. Do you see him? But as terrific as the song is and its refrains are, it can't compare to the truth written by John. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arraigned in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword 
with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice he called out to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs with, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who sits on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Does it sound a little scary? Terrible to witness? Horrific? Then listen close and understand what's happening in these moments. What we're witnessing is the triumphant advent of the Lion of Judah. And it is the epitome of grace and mercy towards those who have repented and turned their hearts to God. The redeemed have willfully chosen to believe Christ and his message. In faith, they've placed their eternal lives in his hands. And so in defense of his beloved church, Christ has turned his focus solely on the destruction of the enemies that would harm his bride. Do you feel sorry at all for the wolves at the beginning of our story? Are you worried that those poor little puppies through no fault of their own are about to be savagely slaughtered by the angry bridegroom? As the alpha wolf leaps, he is blocked by the staff and the groom's blade drives deep into his chest. He turns first on the one beta, catches him under the shoulder, and quickly reverses to bring his blade down on the neck of the second. Do you think the bride let slip one single tear of sorrow as her husband dispatched one snarling wolf after another? Would anyone even dare to suggest that the encounter should be changed to give the wolves a better chance at survival 
or maybe even victory? Now, it might be popular fantasy in movies or books to have a man stand strong and through tremendous hardship persevere and overcome a god. But that's just fantasy. We certainly do cheer when we read those passages, witness on the screen the triumph, but we always dress those stories in terms of good mortals overcoming wicked deity. However, the truth in Revelation is exactly the opposite. There is no one like our God. There was no one who can match the power of the Lion of Judah. And there will be no one that can stand against his fury as he sweeps across the earth, dispatching his enemies. And so there is no one more worthy of our adoration and praise, for he is our strength. He is our protection. He is our redemption. He is our salvation. So praise be to God, our Father, creator of all things, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Redeemer, who paid our ransom and overcame death and was granted all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And praise be to the Holy Spirit who makes known to us our triune God, who convicts us of sin and directs our hearts towards the will of God the Father. Unto all them belong all praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we come before you today in, in celebration of a promise kept from the very beginning. Uh, man fell out of grace. Went after, we went after our own ways refused to believe you and allowed sin to enter into your perfect creation and corrupt it to the point of where we are today. Yet you, from the very beginning, had a rescue plan in place. Taught us about sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice, the forgiveness of sin, and then you yourself stepped into time in order to become that substitution. We give you thanks that, that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're able to come before you humbly, present ourselves to you, our requests, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, and that you look upon us as family. You remember our sins no more. And you get joy from our prayers and from our praise and from our worship. We know that things look terrible from our aspect. 
falling away of churches. So many, so many preachers and pastors delivering false gospels, leading their congregations astray. But, O oh Lord, we know what you're going to do with those false prophets. We know what you're going to do with your true prophets. So, Lord, from now until you decide that it is time to bring in the end, we ask that you use us as your ministers, as your prophets in the world. Help us to speak your, your truth boldly, to not waver. Protect us from the fiery darts of our enemy as those around us try and, and call us horrible names, bigots and hypocrites, and, but allow the work that we can do for your glory to shine through. And so when people look at us, look at Grace United, they will know that we belong to you. Father, we give you thanks for this season. And we look forward to your return and glorious victory so that we might live with you forever and ever. We pray this in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.